Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, as always, Kerry Parker. And uh, today, we have a really, really interesting interview. Uh, I talked to a man named Joshua Mata. He's the CEO of a company called Coalition. And they sell cyber insurance. And I must admit, it's something I really hadn't given a lot of thought to. That Though it has come up a lot lately because of all the ransomware attacks happening to, you know, small and medium businesses and even some of the larger businesses. And part of the equation there is cyber insurance. And so it was really a fascinating discussion. Uh, he has some really interesting insights, you know, being, you know, part of a company that has to deal with these on a regular basis, you know, and, and not just, you know, kind of clean up afterwards, but like be in the thick of things as, as these things are happening. And of course, you know, also help people try to prevent them from happening in the first place. It's in everybody's best interest for that. So really a really unique perspective. And we had a really good talk. So um, we'll be getting to that in just a second. I do want to take a moment to say that October is National Cybersecurity Month. I'm, I'm sure you've got that on your calendar. Uh, but if not, you know, now you know. And, you know, this would be an opportune month, you know, to kind of take the time to check some things off your list, some things you've been meaning to do for a while, some little, you know, some low-hanging fruit perhaps uh, for ways to keep yourself safe. And, uh, you know, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, point you to my book, which has 150 different things you could do, many of them free, a lot of them simple, uh, that, you know, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit out there for things that you could be doing. And it's really like sunscreen, seatbelts, smoke detectors. These are kind of things we take for granted in the physical world. Uh, there's just a lot of simple things that we could all be doing and, you know, that would make us all safer. So anyway, uh, this would be a great month for you to, you know, kind of get out there and check a couple of these things off of your list. So this interview with Joshua is actually a two-part interview, as uh, many of my interviews lately have been. They've been kind of running long. I didn't want to make the shows too terribly long, so I split it up. Uh, we'll have the first half this week and the second half next week. And, you know, the best way to make sure you don't miss anything is to go to subscribe to this podcast so you get all the episodes automatically delivered and you, and you know you won't miss any. So you might, again, take the opportunity now to go do that if you haven't already. And uh, now let's, uh, let's get to this really fascinating interview with Joshua Mata. All right, with us today is Joshua Mata. He is the CEO and co-founder of Coalition, the fastest growing provider of cyber insurance for small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, previously, he held roles at the CIA, Goldman Sachs, and Cloudflare. Welcome to the show, Joshua. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, really glad to have you. Uh, so ransomware uh, has been all over the news lately. Uh, it's not that it's a brand new thing, but it seems like it's um, been biting a lot of uh, big things like school systems and some towns, even some big cities. Um, and one of the more interesting aspects of these recent stories has had to do with cyber insurance and how that's come into play with resolving these situations. So uh, this is really the first time I've, do I've gotten into this topic and you're a perfect person to talk to. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, let's, let's start with the basics, uh, just for, you know, for people that may or may not know, just kind of explain to us what is ransomware and how, like at a high level, how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, if you, th if you take a step back and you think about what's going on in the world, even with our species, right, it's like the, the defining aspect of our species is the usage of technology mm. and each and every day we're more and more dependent upon technology and data, um, and, you know, hackers have realized that, wow, we value this an incredible <laughs> amount. Um, I, I wouldn't say maybe more than our kids or loved ones. And those were, you know, those are the original targets of, of right. sort of ransom and hostage situations. But 
you know, data and, and the, our dependency on technology, you know, they've made these things targets. And if people can take them from us and hold them ransom, you know, they've realized that they can make money. Uh, it's also quite easy. Um, it's, it's far easier to uh, encrypt all of your data, which is really the, the core at what ransomware does. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's malware uh, that infects your computer and then encrypts all of your data, except that it encrypts it with a key that you don't have. Mm-hmm. Only the hacker has it. And therefore, the hacker then demands that you pay them, um, you know, sometimes a reasonable sum of money, sometimes an unreasonable <laughs> sum of money in order to get your data back. Um, so it's really quite an elegant business model, to be honest. And when people ask me, it's actually the most innovative thing that's happened in cybersecurity <laughs> in the past 30 years. Yeah. And not technically. It's not a technical innovation, um, which is sort of funny. It's a business model innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, th- you know, that's that's really at the core. They... Get, you know, launch malware, encrypt your data, and make you pay for a key to decrypt it and get it back. So, sort of a disruptive hack, hacking technology or hacking approach. Um, th- this seems to like correspond to the rise of Bitcoin, yes, because uh, Bitcoin is not 100% anonymous, but it's a lot, my, you know, my understanding, it's a lot easier to collect untraceable ransom using something like Bitcoin as opposed to, I guess, in the old days, Western Union or whatever they used to do. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of things that have sort of emerged to really make uh, ransomware a force. And, you know, part is that we're now more and more dependent on data and technology. The other part is that it's uh, the friction of getting paid um, and, you know, the probability that the hacker is caught, um, you know, identified much less caught, are very low. And and certainly cryptocurrencies have uh, facilitated that in some respects. So you mentioned that sometimes the, the what they charge is reasonable and sometimes not. In your experience, what like if an individual person at home gets struck with mansom, ransomware, what's what's a common uh, ransom lately? Yeah, so it you know it, it tends to be dependent upon the particular strain, and and the strain is particular uh, to the uh, the threat actor, um, the actual hacking group that's targeting you. And so in some cases, you know, smaller ransoms we'll see range anywhere from 500 U.S. dollars equivalent in cryptocurrency to Mm. $3,000, typically priced per machine. And if they've uh, hit multiple machines, occasionally they're even willing to give you a a group discount. That's how, (laughs) you know, that's how generous they are. Mm -hmm. Um, However, more recently, you know, we've seen other groups um, where the ransoms are well in excess of 100,000 U.S. dollars. Um, wow. It's very common for us to see, particularly with the Ryuk strain mm-hmm. of ransomware, it's very common to see ransoms of 200,000, 300, you know, 500,000 um, dollars. Some actors are willing to negotiate, uh, others are not. And so, you know, at some level, it, it, it really just depends on um, which strain of ransomware you're infected with and who's targeting you. Wow, so that's quite a wide range. So it, so I come up, I come to my computer in the morning, probably or whatever, and I and I turn it on or I, I wake it up, and I, there's a big message on my screen that says, "Hey, sorry, I've just, I've just, I've just, you know, encrypted all your files. You know, pay me this money, and I'll give you the key, and I'll give you the key." Um, I, the the analogy I always like to use for this is it's like uh, you know thieves coming into your house, uh, taking all your valuables, and putting them in a safe in your living room floor, and then uh, you know you have to they'll send you the combination to the safe once you pay them money. Because you still have everything. It's, yeah, that's right. It's it's there. You just can't access it. Um, and, and, and it's very businesslike, right? The message <laughs> that pops up on your screen 
you know, uh, oftentimes it's very polite. Um, <laughs> they've told you what's happened and it's, it's very transactional, right? Um, everything is designed to uh, facilitate the transaction. Um, and, you know, the, the other thing though I would point out is the costs go certainly well beyond the ransom. Um, you know, it can even even when you decrypt your data, you know, sometimes it's not flawless. Um, you know, your business can be interrupted in the intervening period of time. And so, you know, the actual extortion amount, whether it's 3000 or 500,000 is is really just one component of, of the pain that, you know, businesses and individuals are feeling. Yeah. In fact, it's funny you mentioned that how easy it is. I've heard st- stories that some of these crime groups actually have customer support. Like if you need yes. help buying Bitcoin, they, there's a number to call where they will help you. Oh yeah, they will do that. They'll they'll even apologize that their English <laughs> isn't great. Um, so you know, again, uh, the polite criminal. Um, it's uh, it, it, it's somewhat remarkable. Um, unfortunately, you know, as as, as um, cute as sometimes it is, it's devastating for businesses. Oh sure, um, yeah. And you know, uh, particularly if you don't have a, a backstop in place, because. You know, uh, some strains of ransomware target data, but of course, you know, if you kept a backup of your data, you don't need to pay the ransom. You can restore from backups, but criminals are learning. And so, the, again, the more advanced strains of ransomware like Ryuk will now target your backups. And so mm-hmm. they don't just encrypt your data, they encrypt your backups of your data. Um, and so, again, this has become something that's just gotten more and more pernicious over time. So, so let's finish the scenario. So two options, you either pay yeah. or you don't. So if I, let's say I decide, okay, my data is irreplaceable. I don't have backups. Um, and I'm just going to knuckle under and, and pay the price to get my data back. So how does it work? What, I, what, do, how do I pay? And then what happens that, how do I get my data back? Yeah. So, you know, first I would preface by saying, you know, we never recommend that people pay the ransom. Mm. Um, and obviously if you can, if there's any other possible way, to restore your data or restore your business operations without paying the ransom, then then I think that is absolutely the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, you know that isn't that that the luxury of having that choice. Um, uh, you know, most companies don't have it. Um, you know, if you've lost your backups and if you literally go out of business if you don't pay the ransom, it becomes a very stark decision. And so, in the cases where the companies or individuals do decide um, to pay. You know, typically the way it, it works is it, it's fairly transactional. Um, they will provide, you know, a, a Bitcoin wallet. They will ask for a certain amount. You you will send uh, the crypto there. But of course, all of this requires that you have the ability to acquire it. Right. And so, you know, speaking from from someone in the insurance industry, you know, insurance companies are are designed to handle this. Um, mm-hmm. So in our case, a coalition, you know, we have uh, an entire dedicated security and instant response team for our customers. We're unique in that way. And so there are individuals in our team who can, you know, not only help you procure um, the crypto, can help actually facilitate the transaction to the extent, again, that our, our policyholder in this case um, desires to pay. We can even handle, you know, the entire proof of life uh, and the exchange. And so these are negotiated literally like an actual hostage situation. And so you may have noticed I mentioned a technical term, proof of life, Yeah, you know, historically. Historically, that was a photograph with someone holding up a newspaper, right, with today's <laughs> right. date. And in this case, um, it, the criminals will provide you with the decryptor that allows you to decrypt, you know, a portion of your files just to show that to prove oh, that they wow. do have it. And so once <sighs> once the companies have validated 
you know, that in fact, okay, they can de decrypt the files, you know, then you can proceed with the transaction. And um, again, because many of these actors are rational economic actors, you know, they're looking to repeat this. Um, there is some level of integrity that's enforced, right? Which is that, you know, if a, if a hacker decides to take the money and run, uh, it very the, among the community and certainly amongst the um, uh, the security community, uh, it becomes known very quickly that 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 actor does this, and so it erodes their credibility, and then it it erodes their business. <laughs> and so you know, again, more often than not, like I, it's very rare that you that you know again you can't decrypt the files. Where things can go wrong is is sometimes the hackers just disappear, and who knows? Maybe it's they forgot how to log into their throwaway email, or they went on vacation. Or they just got bored. I don't know, but um, but that tends to be the biggest risk. Um, you know, once you are engaged in a transaction, uh, you know, again, it, it tends to be a, quite a simple exchange. Get a, get a proof of life that the files can be decrypted, um, transfer the cryptocurrency, and typically the decryptor is is um, is provided back. You know, very quickly, very huh. business like. <laughs> uh, and I guess obviously, if you don't pay, then it, you have to. It, somehow replace what you've lost. And in so many cases, I'm sure right. that that takes a lot more time and money. I mean, I'm sure that it, it's much more efficient and probably cheaper overall if you don't have backups to just to just pay. Um, Sometimes, certainly, absolutely. I mean, and that's that's sort of the calculus that every that every company or every victim has to go through. And, you know, there there even even absent backups, you know, there are forensic capabilities to try and recover files from, you know, mm -hmm. the, the actual hard drives. And, you know, there are things of, of this nature, but, um, but yes, it, it can certainly be costly. And, you know, in the interim, your business is down, right? right? I mean, it can mean no one, no one has access to their email. Your manufacturing systems no longer work. You know, your e-commerce store is no longer accepting transact. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, um, it can be devastating. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that, you know, you, that there is kind of this honor among thieves. You have to trust them at a certain point because, yes, it would get around. If nobody – if they all walked away with it, then nobody would pay. Um, That's right. But uh, they infected your computer somehow. So what's to stop them from from just re-ransoming your data at a later point? I mean, it, obviously, it, I assume if you're a business and you're working through you, a coalition, you'll probably go through this process to scrub the computers and whatever. And we'll get to that. But for as a, yeah. an individual, like if I've paid my yeah. ransom – now what? I mean, I assume my computer's compromised. Now what? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, and that's where even more costs come into play because, you know, without performing forensic analysis, which certainly most at-home users can't do, right. much less most cor corporate users, you know, you you have no way of knowing if they're still on your machine. Um, you're absolutely right. And, and so, you know, in that case, Obviously, there are things you can do like running antivirus or anti-ransomware software to try and give you some comfort. You know, there are things of that nature, but really short of performing a full forensic analysis of your computer, that is a risk. Wow. Absolutely. All right. So as individuals, uh, mom and pop, they're just regular old people. How, in your experience, how do people get infected? What are the most common ways for people to trip up uh, and get this malware on their machines? Yeah, it's it's basically two ways. It's email. Email is an entry point for for malware, and that malware uh, gives the hacker access from a remote perspective, so remote access to your computer, and they use that remote access to load the ransomware and decrypt your files. And so, you know, phishing emails, you know, things that are designed to get you to click on them or download things, that's one of the main ways. Mm -hmm. So. 
email is a massive vector of entry for uh, individuals and businesses. It's in all of the claims that we pay over 80% of the claims, the, the vector of entry was email. Wow. Okay. Um, the, the other significant one is, is uh, remote desktop. Um, and mm-hmm. so maybe less common for a home user, um, certainly very common for a, for a small business user uh, you know, they will, they'll enable Microsoft remote desktop or some remote desktop tool that allows them or their employees to remotely log into their computer, you know, when they're on vacation or, or, you know, in, in whatever scenario. And then they expose that to the internet, right? So they mm-hmm. expose their computer to the public internet. They're running this, some sort of remote access and the hackers are just scanning the internet. They're scanning every single IP address that's touching the internet and they don't care if it's a home user or if it's a business, they don't care if it's one of the largest businesses or a small business. If they see an IP address, you know, that is communicating and talking with one of these remote desktop protocols, that's their cue to, you know, huff and puff and (laughs) blow your, you know, blow your door down. Yeah. Um, And, and that's what they do. And so, you know, they'll, when they see that, while again, remote access to your computer can be very convenient from a small business perspective or even an individual perspective, when you put it on the internet, anyone can try and log into your computer. Right. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're brute forcing it. They're guessing, you know, millions of passwords. And if you use a weak password, you know, chances are they'll find a combination and get in. They're also using compromised credentials. And so, again, sadly, many people use the same password yes. and username for everything. Right. And, well, you know, unfortunately, not everyone is great at protecting your username and password. You know, we read about data breaches every day. And the thing is, is when that data is breached, hackers are using that. Yeah. Right? They're taking information that was lost in this data breach, and then they're using it to try and log into your computer. And if you happen to use the same username and password, voila, you know, now they have access to your machine as well. And to, make, to add even another kind of interesting observation, sometimes these are multiple actors working together, um, even if they don't know one another, even if they speak different languages. Hmm. So, for example, you, you can have a, a criminal group that has expertise in phishing. And getting people to, you know, download uh, remote control software onto their uh, machine. So, and then that that hacking group will then literally auction off access to that computer <laughs> to another threat group wow. that has an expertise in ransomware. So there are literally websites on the internet that are, do nothing but sell remote access to people's computers. And you can say, I want a computer in the state of Texas that has this much bandwidth and that's running, uh, you know, into it tax software you can literally get to that level of specificity <laughs> and and obviously the the criminal groups that are doing like irs fraud will pay a lot of money for a computer that has tax software on it oh yeah you know whereas you know the ransomware guys won't pay as much for that but they'll pay for any other machine because they know that if the person values the data or whatever is running on it there's a very high likelihood that they'll get you know several thousand to a hundred hundred thousand plus from it so there's been a division of labor in the criminal ecosystem where criminals are cooperating with one another transnationally to perpetuate crime against individuals and business owners. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's really astonishing. Well, uh, yeah. And one of the other ones that was, you said that I had forgotten, but uh, some of the um, biggest ransomware over the last year or so was Gancrab. And these yes. guys were ransomware as a service. Tell us, tell us about That's that right. next step. Yeah. So, you know, in that particular case, you know, there's lots of strains now, Ryuk and Dharma. And, and um, so in this particular case, as ransomware as a service, you know, they've decided to actually build a platform that allows any criminal um, 
to to effectively perform, like you said, ransomware as a service. So they're literally selling access to a software platform that allows less sophisticated um, hackers to basically use that platform for the purposes of launching their own ransomware campaigns. And so there's literally a cottage software industry that was built by criminals to sell software to other criminals. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's, I mean, and, and, you know, when you think about how much money is lost and, you know, at some point this is so absurd that you almost laugh. And yeah. I, would, I would laugh if it, if it wasn't so, again, so devastating. That's true. But, you deal with it you know, very much. There, yeah. There are billions of dollars, I mean, at, at stake here. Um, and, you know, these actors are making, you know, sadly a very significant sums of money, which is what's leading um, to literally, you know, criminal innovation. Like people are literally competing um, to innovate and, uh, you know, find ways in which to, you know, effectively make more from these criminal campaigns. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, I don't mean to make light of it. It just, I'm just sitting here no, shaking, yeah, shaking no. my head I, going, I, I can, it's hard to believe that this is where we are, you know? It is, it is absolutely. All right, so we've talked about uh, individuals, but uh, lately some of the stuff that uh, has been in the news has been corporations or municipalities or uh, small towns and cities, in some cases in big cities. Um, is is it just me, or are they, is this just being maybe more in the news lately, or is, has has it spiked? You know, uh, the situations where they're going after the bigger the bigger fish. I mean, you know, I think the thing is, is they're going after everyone, and so you know, the thing with news is that by definition, it's rare and exceptional, right. typically, right? Like the things that happen every day, you know, never get reported about. Sometimes those are the most risky things, right? Or, or mm -hmm. the most, you know, damaging things to society. And so, you know, obviously the, the large sensational um, ransomware, those are the ones that get reported. And so I would say in generally that the incidence of, ra of ransomware is increasing, right? You know, th this is a business model, a criminal business model that works. And the probability of being caught at least so far is very low. And so, you know, it's, it's a gold rush and, you know, we're seeing, um, ransomware increase significantly. Um, and in our, in our world that translates into actual insurance claims. Like mm -hmm. we have seen certainly in ransomware claims in the past few months. And certainly it's, it's a much larger activity than, than in, in the year prior, but, but they're going after everyone. It's, it's just the large ones that are getting reported. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like in many cases, you know, it's the targeting is indiscriminate. It has nothing to do with whether you're a local government or a school or a very wealthy business or an individual. It's that you have made a poor technical decision that's visible on the internet, that's visible to the hacker. So I call it the nail that's like sticking out on the surface. Mm. And, and they have a hammer. They're scanning the internet looking for nails. And when they find one, they're going to hammer it in. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's really how, um, how this activity is, is happening. The other, the other thing that I think is, um, driving it is, you know, hackers have realized that they can get more leverage by compromising certain types of organizations. And those organizations are managed service providers. So many companies, you know, use a third party in, in schools and counties and whatnot, like they'll, they'll hire an IT firm that will basically, you know, manage all their IT. Um, they'll manage their security. They'll do all of that. Well, in order to be able to do that, the, the, the third party providers, you know, the IT providers that these companies and organizations are working with, well, they need remote access into the network, mm -hmm. right? So that they can hear things, so that they can troubleshoot, you know, why the employee's computer is running slowly, you know, things of that nature. And so a hacker knows that if I can compromise uh, a managed services provider, an IT services provider, now I can get access to not, not just that company, I can get access to the hundred companies that they support, mm -hmm. right? 
by definition in their role, they have to have, you know, uh, network access right. to their clients. And, and so that's where we've, we've definitely seen some very devastating attacks. I mean, there's another example of a, of a firm that was doing that for dentist's office. And by compromising that provider, uh, I believe they were able to send, like launch ransomware attacks against, I, I can't remember if it was 400 or 4,000 oh dentists simultaneously. Wow. Um, so, you know, um, definitely com- companies need to be aware of the risks the, that third parties can bring. And, and, you know, if I were them, I'd certainly be looking through my contract and making sure that, you know, that provider has an appropriate insurance policy, you know, and has a way to recover. But, you know, again, at the end of the day, like that's, that's a, that's a matter of last resort. So is that what, it's one of the, one of the more recent cases that's been in the news is these Texas, I think it was school districts, 20 or 20, up to 23 different localities were hit. They've been very kind of coy about what actually is going on. I don't know, uh, uh, for uh, do you know, for example, was is that what happened there? That they were they able to hit so many because there was some common thread uh, uh, among all these schools that was that was attacked to get to all of them. I'm inclined to believe that's the case. I, I don't have any firsthand knowledge, and you know, like you, I you know, I'm I'm watching with curiosity. But you know, my my spidey sense, so to speak, would it would suggest that there is some sort of common thread. There's a common provider, common services provider. And by compromising that um, firm or that entity, they were then able to go out and get access to all of these individual networks and attack them simultaneously. So in your experience, in, from the, in a corporate level, maybe from small business all the way up to some larger agencies or whatever, uh, what percentage of these companies actually just end up paying the ransom? And how does that correlate with whether or not they've got insurance? Yeah. So, you know, look, it, there's kind of two classes. If you're a company that backs up your data, very few pay the ransom. Mm. And you want to make sure that you're in that group. Yeah, so yes. back, back up your data. If, if there's nothing else that you learn from this, back up your data. Um, and ideally, place it uh, in a spot that's separate from right. your network, off-site, off right? Or off your network, somewhere that you know they can encrypt that too. For those companies that don't have backups, you know, I, I don't have data across the entire industry, but the vast majority um, w- will pay the ransom. The, you know, at the end of the day, there there is no choice. Yeah. Those that do not are either doing so on, you know, because they firmly believe uh, and do not wish to pay it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, uh, again, you know, hats off to them. I think it's, this is a difficult problem. You know, in some cases, the data that was encrypted, they have some other way to recreate it, or it wasn't, it was really kind of non-core to their business. But, you know, if you don't have a backup and you need access to it, in the overwhelming number of cases, the ransoms are are paid. So another question I've had about this, and, I, and I'm interested to know if you know the answer, what percentage of corporations actually disclose that they've been attacked? Like, let's say they got attacked and they just okay, they decide, okay, we're going to pay the ransom because we've got to have our business back. Um, how, how, <laughs> how many of them actually will say that? I assume there's probably at this point no legal reason that they would have to disclose this. I know there's some data breach laws that are coming into business now, um, but for ransomware attacks, is this something that they would need to disclose for any reason to their um, customers? Um, you know, like you said, typically ransomware um, is separate from data breach, but you know, it, if they have access to encrypt your files, that means they also have access to take your files. Mm. And so that that is a concern. And you know, certainly if, if there was uh, evidence that the actor had you know, compromise the, the you know, uh, protected information, health information, credit card data, 
then, you know, in most, in frank, frankly, in all 50 states um, and with GDPR, you know, yes, there would be um, obligations potentially to notify. That's not always public notification, um, mm. you know, but, but yeah, very often, you know, yes, you would have to notify whoever were victims, um, uh, you know, if, if there was a violation of their privacy. But again, most ransomware, uh, typically there isn't a data breach. And so in that case, you know, very, it's very infrequent that it's disclosed. Typically, the only times it's disclosed is, is, is um, it becomes readily apparent, right? <laughs> right. Um, I mean, that's the thing. You, you, it's, it's hard to hide something that has literally completely and utterly disrupted your business operations. Sure. Um, so, you know, more often than not, it, it does become known because of precisely how impactful it is to your business. But, you know, I, I would say that generally speaking, uh, for security instance, you know, yes, most companies do not disclose un- unless they are required to. So are the attack vectors for, for businesses or uh, just municipalities any, any different really than attacks against individuals? I'm sure email plays a big role, but is there any kind of difference qualitatively in how the attacks are performed against companies? You know, I mean, I, I think the way the attacks are performed are, are similar across all companies. You know, the, what the companies look like and, and obviously their preparedness, you know, that can vary drastically. And, you know, I don't, I'm not going to pick on municipalities versus another, but, you know, sometimes it just comes down to what is the budget for IT mm-hmm. and you know, um, how integral is uh, technology to that company? Because, and I'll give you an example, like, you know, for some companies, particularly, you know, like um, manufacturing or whatnot, you know, it's, it's not important to have the latest version of iOS mm-hmm. or Windows mm-hmm. on your machines. Like, you know, the manufacturing line is working perfectly well with, you know, a 15 year old version of Windows. In right. fact, that's the only version of Windows that it runs on, right? right? And and so in that case, you know, um, they're certainly they're they're at greater risk, absolutely. So you know, if they're not refreshing, if they're not patching, you know, if, if they're in industries where the technology lifecycle is extremely long, you know, where the software isn't getting updated um, frequently, then you know they're just kind of structurally in a position where they're in a weaker position. Um, you know, it's more difficult to defend against some of the vulnerabilities and, and, and other techniques that hackers are using. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So what, if anything, do we know about the hackers? You've kind of tangentially talked about this, but, are you know, is it is it a single hacker that's maybe using some of these services you've talked about, or is it a, tends to be a group? Uh, how often maybe is it like an insider? I mean, what, what do we know uh, about the attackers in these cases, what, what if anything? Yeah, I'm... Um, you know, you you can you can get to know quite a bit because, like you said, um, you know, when when crypto is involved in money's exchanging hands, you know, you can see which wallets the crypto is being sent to, hmm. and and you can also see how much is in those wallets. I mean, and in some hmm. cases, it's material sums of money, and so that can be a clue um, as to you know the size and sophistication of the actor you're dealing with. Um, but you know, otherwise, it, it is it's difficult to know, and so uh, you know. I, we, um, in, in just sort of our studies of, of, of ransomware and threat actors, a lot, most of the activity tends to be organized. That's our belief. So, you know, it's, it's done methodically. Um, it's done at scale. They're, they're certainly, you know, it's, it's a full blown, you know, criminal enterprise. Um, they're making, you know, millions of dollars, um, uh, performing these, uh, in some cases, you know, we believe it could even be nation state driven. Mm-hmm. So there are there's certainly been accusations of certain countries, you know, attempting to use ransomware as a way to fund their regime. Yeah. Um, 
And again, attribution is very difficult. Um, that's certainly not a, a field that we get into. But you know, I would say that generally speaking, most of the activity appears to be organized. Most of the actors appear to be economically motivated, um, as opposed to you know ideologically motivated or otherwise. But I, I have no doubt that you know insider threat is an issue as well. You know, and we've there have been a couple of examples of you know disgruntled employees mm. who have you know attempted to sabotage the company in some way, shape, or form on the way out, and so you know that's also a threat. So I think we've uh, certainly established here clearly that there are several ways that things can go wrong in the realm of cybersecurity uh, with computers and technology. So um, obviously this is what your company is for to mitigate some of these risks. So let's get into that. Tell me, tell our audience, what is cyber insurance? How does cyber insurance work? What is it? What does it cover? little cliffhanger we will wait and find out next week what is cyber insurance it's really really interesting and uh, again it's something i honestly had not thought a lot about but um if you have a business of any sort or even just a substantial you know computer risk of, of things that you can't replace or or you're somebody else is dependent upon you or whatever um if, if risks to your computer environment or your data is, is really important, then you're going to want to listen up, I think. So, all right, uh, we'll pick up and do the last half of our interview next week. So uh, obviously, if again, if you haven't already, you might want to subscribe to the podcast, make sure you don't miss it or any of the future episodes. And while you're there, if you think about it, you know, love to see uh, some more positive reviews. Uh, those really help the podcast to get noticed. In the meantime, if you want to, you know, get a sneak peek, you can go to, uh, www.thecoalition.com and check out uh, Joshua's company and see what they do. Uh, also, if for some reason you happen to get struck with ransomware, I've mentioned this before, but a really great resource is a, a website called nomoreransom.org. These guys can help you if you if you get infected. Sometimes these ransomware attacks actually are are buggy; they they fail, uh, or we've or uh, other cyber insurance companies have figured out how to work around them or to break the, uh, the encryption. So in some cases, certainly before you pay, uh, you might want to check out that website and see if your particular flavor of ransomware has some sort of mitigation or fix before you, uh, before you pay. And once again, it is national cybersecurity month, a great month to, uh, check off some boxes to raise your general level of security. There's a lot of really simple and free things you can be doing. And I recommend that you kind of make, take, take this time this month to, you know, get a few of those things done. And if not just for yourself, for some other folks as well, uh, you know, the more all of us do this, the safer we'll all be. And on that note, uh, we'll talk to you again next week with the second half of our interview with Joshua Mata. And as always, stay safe out there and don't get caught with your drawbridge down.